0: Well, we are continuing this marvelous, wonderful book of Ruth. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. Now to place us in the calendar year, to give us a perspective of time, chapter 2 goes from the beginning of the barley harvest. You see that in chapter 1, verse 22. All the way to the conclusion of both the barley and the wheat harvest in chapter 2, verse 23. That is from the beginning of April to the end of May. So, Ruth and Boaz spent at least two months Getting to know one another, maybe daily, without anything interesting developing. Nothing up until the end of this evening's text is explicitly romantic. People can interject and eisegete and place things in there. Certainly we know that's where it's going, but nothing romantic has actually transpired between the two of them, that is true of tonight's text. Now, that might disappoint you. Don't let it. In the suspense, in the waiting, in the postponement of the romance, we're learning something. In our American culture, it, it, it's, it's, it's shoving you into romantic feelings and all the passions that go with it, before you've even given any thought to what God prioritizes in relationships. And so God is teaching us, maybe with a little bit of the frustration that we might feel, that says, get on with it, Boaz and Ruth. Let's let's get to the good stuff. We should feel that. And it's teaching us something about the nature of godly relationships. You think about the stark contrast between this godly relationship that will form and the instant microwavable flings that we so often witness in our current American culture. Maybe many of us have been saved out of a life of serial relationships since we could remember ever since we noticed the other sex. Now, everything in tonight's text is all background. It's all setting to this godly relationship, which will be built, and here's the structure for our evening. Godly relationships, this godly relationship, and any godly relationship that we might desire to have is built by godly community, Godly priorities and godly counselors. Godly community in verses 14 to 16. Godly priorities in verses 17 to 20. And godly counselors in verses 21 to 23. First, godly relationships are built by godly community. Look with me at verses 14 and 16, and as you look with me there, remember that God has brought Ruth to the property of Boaz, where she notices his godly leadership over his young men, and he learns of her godly work ethic, her humility, and her care For Naomi, her mother in law, who we are told is Boaz's family by marriage to her now deceased husband, Elimelech. He affectionately refers to Ruth as my daughter. So we clearly know that's not romantic. And he promises both to provide for her and to protect her, demanding even so far that she let his young men chivalrously draw her water for her. He's caring for her. We're learning a lot about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, okay? And a feministic culture that says, no, we don't have men do things for us. The Bible stands for it and says, no, men take care of women. Not because they can't do things, but because this is a way that we honor them. We show value on them. We cherish them by caring for them. There's zero romance. I can't stress that enough. There's zero romance so far. Overwhelmed by this older man's great kindness, Ruth has in gratitude she's floored by grace not just the grace of Boaz the man she's floored by the grace of God that Boaz worships it's the God that Boaz worships which is reflected in his character And she's amazed by Boaz, but she's amazed by the God of Boaz. She's come from Moab, Kamosh, the evil, greedy, needy demon God that demands child sacrifice, is the polar opposite of Yahweh, the living God who needs nothing from no one and gives everything to everyone. And here she is, just stunned and amazed at how great God is. He commands his people to leave the perimeters of their property, their private property, for perfect strangers. What a bountiful God! What a good God! What a kind God! What a generous God! And Boaz, who worships that God, who adores that God, who loves that God, even goes beyond God's law to give graciously to this young Girl, no flirtation yet but there's mutual admiration as is proper between a wealthy lord and a servant girl verse 14 at mealtime Boaz said to Ruth come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar Ruth has been working hard Boaz insists that she eat bread and vinegar. It's a delicious snack that we still enjoy at Italian restaurants. You guys were talking about the Chico's earlier. I don't know. Is that the typical appetizer at the Chico's? Who does that? Who does the bread with the vinegar? Vinegar and olive oil, like little baguettes? Well, I'm not. Okay, you do it. You're the only one that does it. But which restaurant serves that? olive garden. Thank you. Okay, that's an olive garden thing. Okay, we're still doing it today. Uh, Boaz is olive gardening this thing. Bread and vinegar it's delicious. It's that zappy, zesty taste of the vinegar mixed with the savory, you know, sweet aroma of the bread. It's delicious. And Ruth isn't stupid, is she? She doesn't pass up on that. So, we continue to read, she sat beside the reapers and he Boaz served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied. And here's a very interesting point. She had some left. Wow. Really quickly, rushing to romance misses the point here. Misses the point entirely. Boaz loves the impartial God. The God we see, the God we worship, is immediately reflected in how we live. Your attitude, your treatment of other people is in a reflection of the God you think exists. How you treat people. Is it true advertising of the true living God? How we treat people. Is it properly reflecting the impartial God Boaz obviously worships an impartial God, the God of both Jews and Gentiles. And it's shown in how he treats people, especially fellow believers, no matter their ethnicity. This Moabite woman gets the same treatment in Yahweh as the people of Boaz. He invites repentant outsiders to be the insiders. And we see racial animosity vanish in Yahweh. That's as good in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament with Christ. That's not a new thing in Christ, in the New Covenant. That is as old as the world God created. He loves his creation of the nations and he brings them together in love as they worship him, the God of all people, the God who loves the other. Ruth is treated as one of the family, and it's Boaz who serves Ruth, not vice versa. This is just astonishing display of who God is in this man, Boaz. This girl, with a godless past, watches a godly man lead by serving his servants, even the newest of them, even Ruth, this pagan who's recently repented. And does he give her scraps? Does he give her the leftovers after everyone else has eaten? That would be kind enough, wouldn't it? No, the text is that he heaps it up. He piles it up on her plate. He, he layers her plate, heaping up more than she could eat. He sizes her up, and he says, yeah, you aren't going to be able to finish this. And he slops that good old roasted grain by the bucket load. Now, here's the thing. What do we learn at the, uh, by this? Why doesn't she devour all her food? First of all, probably because she couldn't. It's probably just too much. But remember, who is on Ruth's mind? Who's waiting at home for her? Who has she obligated herself to serve and to care for? Naomi. And so she's pocketing leftovers to take home to mom. And we see here both the generosity of Boaz and the generosity of Ruth. And we're reminded that generosity brothers sisters generosity is handsome on men and it's gorgeous in women generosity is befitting the people of god she eats she saves some for mom. She jumps to work. And we work hard so we can give big. Do you know that's why you should aspire? If, if Those of you that are hoping to go to school and get a good career and make lots of money. I pray that it's not because you love the things of the world. And you want to get as many things of the world as you possibly can. I pray that you've made a commitment in your heart. That I'm going to have this level of this standard of living. And beyond that, I want to give it. I want to give it to the kingdom. I want to give it to people. I want to give it away. I want to maximize what I give. We work hard so we can give big. That's clearly Boaz. He knows he can't take it with him. What's so good about building storehouses and and, and piling up loads of money that I couldn't possibly dream to spend? He's watching Ruth. He's saying, "That, That girl, she thinks like I do. She understands God's grace like I've come to understand it. She doesn't rest with the others. She works while the others stay seated. Do you notice that? She got up while they sat there. Boaz notices Ruth's attitude and, continuing in our text, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not dishonor her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Now, really quickly, you got to think through these things. Couldn't he have just told the supervisor this? Hey, here's my policy. He could have. Why does he tell all the workers? He tells them all. He wants to make sure they all get that all the young men and the young women, but particularly the young men, they must make Ruth's work easier. She's got an older mother-in-law at home. She's not going home to a full family who've all been working so that life is a little bit easier. She's got a hard life. He knows that about her. He also probably already knows about his family ties to them. He feels particularly obligated by law. He's honoring what God has said. And he's ensuring that these young men cannot flirt with or disrespect Ruth, the woman from Moab. Do not talk down to her. Do not hit on her. Now, you might say, oh yeah, that's because Boaz is interested in her. He's, he's monopolizing her. He's, he's guarding her for himself. Not so. He waits until she's gone to say this. So he's clearly not trying to impress her. He's honoring God with what God says are his responsibilities as a kinsman redeemer to Naomi's family. Boaz is just thinking about the Lord this time. Maybe she's pretty. We don't know. We're not told. Isn't it interesting that we're not told that that is a feature of Ruth. We're not told anything about her appearance. We're told about Esther. We're told about Rachel. We're told about others who were beautiful in face and form. We're not told anything about Ruth. We're not told anything about Boaz. They could have been really short and goofy looking, no offense to short people. I'm not saying that. I realize that came out wrong. My point is is that we're not told about their appearance. They could look very different than what we imagine. Really, no offense, short people. Godly communities. You see, Here she is, she's watching Boaz in godly community with his people. And Boaz commands his little community not become a meat market. This is not to be a place where people are just hitting on each other, treating one another trivially, like romance is recreation. Godly communities where relationships flourish, which is what all of us want. Okay? We want flourishing relationships. And I'm not just speaking romantically here. We want flourishing relationships. Communities, godly communities, where relationships flourish are groups of dignity and respect. We show dignity to one another we should respect one another godliness let's make it even more specific here as we see this play out between boaz and ruth godliness never secludes itself to form relationships in secret godliness loves light and as much light as possible do not live like the world in privacy hiding behind screens And in unprotected settings. That is not where godly romance blossoms. God wants you and I to enjoy life and relationships, as Jesus said, more abundant. That's what all of us crave. And so let's trust God over our feelings. Let's trust what God says. And let's live how God says to enjoy what God promises. Point two. Godly relationships are built by godly priorities, verses 17 to 20. So, she gleaned in the field until evening. Notice this. She, at lunch, had leftovers to take home. Already cooked, she could have went home and escaped the heat with all those leftovers. She's not employed by Boaz. She's not obligated to work the full day. Why not escape the hottest part of the day? She's a hard worker, man. She... Loves the Lord. She loves her mom. She's not going to take shortcuts. She's not going to cut corners. Now, did Boaz help her? Loads. I mean, it's remarkable. But does he remove work from her? This is fascinating. He doesn't. He could have done that. He could have told his young men, hey, just heap up a bunch uh, beat it out and, and put it away for her so that she could just go home without working. Now Boaz. Boaz knows that wouldn't be good for Ruth. That's not good for anyone. Not working is good for no one. Work is good. But like Yahweh does with his people, Boaz makes work a rewarding joy. Then, Ruth beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She works all day. The sun goes down. She works more. She's a hard worker. She's threshing. She's smashing the kernels of the grain from the husks. And the wind blows the husks away. And she's got the grain left. And and before she beat it out, the, the, there was an ephah of barley. All of it, husk and kernel, made an ephah. I mean, picture this brimming basket. Can we imagine the ministry, the encouragement that this was going to be to depress Naomi? I'm sure Ruth is giddy right now as she is just packing up a fortune. I mean, this this is stuff that not only are they going to be able to eat, they could sell the excess, they could sell the surplus, they could get other things. This is money. This is an extravagant amount of money, by the way. The best commentary, proper commentary, the best commentary on this book says that in Omer, another unit of measurement, was an ass load. I got a real kick out of that. Okay? It's being technical. A donkey is an ass. It's how much you could put on an ass. Okay, This is very technical Bible commentary. It's the amount that one could pack on a donkey, an Omer. Now, what was an ephah? An ephah was 10 whole ass loads. That's what an ephah was. This is a lot amount. It's a full bath full of grain. A full bath! Guys, I'm being very technical. I don't know why you're laughing. Because I'm quoting, I've got it in quotes, okay? So don't get me in trouble. I'm quoting the commentary. I think it's Hubbard or something like that. You can look it up yourself, okay? It's very technical, it's very serious. Ruth carries 29 pounds of just kernels home that day. Now, this is amazing. A daily ration of food for an average-sized man was one pound. One pound per person. Ruth is dragging home that day a month's worth of food. Month's worth of wages... For one day's work. That's that's the setting. Okay. As we're reading this, we're going, oh my gosh. As Hebrew readers, we're reading this thing. They went from famine and destitution to bounty. Now, verse eighteen. She took it up and went into the city Bethlehem. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She's amazed. She also took it out and gave to Naomi what she had left over after she was satisfied. You, so she's brought home a month's worth of wages. I mean, you, you do the math in your head. How much do you make in a month? Would you like to make that in a day? That'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? She's brought that home, and then she pulls out, hey, by the way, we don't even have to cook dinner tonight. I've got these leftovers, already cooked food, that we get to enjoy over a sweet conversation. Yet... What did Naomi likely do all day long while Ruth was out there working for the first time by herself as a Gentile girl in a land where her people are hated? Naomi probably worried sick all day about Ruth. And here she comes home and it's like, what? We're reminded here that 99% of all we worry about never comes to pass. We waste so much of our life, like downcast Naomi, fearing that the sky is falling. We need to stop wasting our life with worry, and we need to start thanking God who always exceeds all our expectations. He is doing a billion, trillion, gazillion things in every little detail of our life. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed! I mean, let me translate into modern English here. Good grief, Ruth. Did, did you rob a bank? I mean, where did you get all of this? Praise God for whoever sent you home with this incredible paycheck, a month's paycheck for a day's work. May God bless them. Naomi's fortunes are turning infinitely more than she could ever ask or imagine. So, the text continues, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. Now, I want you to read this like a Hebrew reader. I want you to read this, ladies, like little girls in Israel would read this. This is where things are getting excited. Drew, I want you to get excited up here, buddy. Okay, he's excited here. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. That is called suspense, my friends. And she said, suspense, The name of the man with whom I worked today, suspense, is Boaz. Bingo! We've been waiting for it. She's just seeing it. All along, we got God's perspective because this is history and we've been told by the narrator where this thing is going. We know where this is going, but we're watching providence work out. Ruth and Naomi, they're, they're, they're experiencing it in real time like you and I experience our lives. They're clueless to what the next second is going to bring. Have you, ever know, have you ever considered how the angels must watch our lives? The angels, Michael, Gabriel, even demons, but particularly the angels in glory who fight and minister to the people of God. They watch us as we struggle with sin and suffering doubting and tired but what do they know? What do they never lose sight of as they're serving us? God is working all things together for your good They never grow discouraged They are totally confident as they watch their God doing everything masterfully in our lives for our good All things must work for good We're seeing that with Naomi and Ruth. Why is it that we struggle to believe it in our own lives? Verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of Yahweh, who has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and to the dead. You see, Naomi, who who began with these fatalistic fears in chapter 1, those fatalistic fears are thawing out as she is being reminded that her God is always good. Her God is always good. She, by her feelings, by tragedies in life, has begun to believe that God is frigid and distant and hard. And here she is. We hear it in her words. Could it be? Could it be that God is not against me? Could it be that God has not forsaken me? Brother and sister, your God, if you are in Christ... Your God is always 100%, a billion percent, infinitely for you. And never against you. I'm going to say that one more time. And I want you to try and live this truth out this week. Your God is totally for you and never against you. Try to interpret everything in your life that happens through that lens. And you will do well. God pledges himself by covenant to only do us good. Life in Christ, get this, life in Christ is just one long experiment discovering that what I just said is true. That's why we sing songs like Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to prove him over and over. It's amazing to me how true that anthem is of our lives. Now, How is this going to liberate us? How is this going to free us to live? Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first, that is, seek above all things, His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about, that you get anxious about, will be added to you. God will take care of you. So do not worry about tomorrow. Philippians 4 is almost a commentary on that. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. I mean, Can can you rejoice in a Savior, in a King? who's in control of all the particles in the universe, who bled for your sins and died for you, saying, hey, I don't want you to worry about anything. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Everything you worry about, God's going to take care of that. And Paul says, rejoice in that Lord. Who says that? That's a good Lord. Rejoice in him. Again, I'll say it because you're not going to believe me the first time. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. We should be the most reasonable people on the planet. The Lord is near to you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Whatever is true, dignified, right, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, consider these things, think about them, meditate on them, practice these things, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me ask you, ladies, gentlemen, what must Ruth do to get married? What must Ruth do to end this book a married woman? What must Naomi do to rescue her family from extinction? She's got to get it done, right? Right, guys? Ladies, gentlemen? That's the object of this storybook, right? That's how we treat books of the Bible. Live rightly. Do the right thing. What does Ruth have to do? Manipulate? control? Keep putting yourself out in front of Boaz so as to get his attention? What does Naomi have to do? Orchestrate? Work behind the scenes? Pull pull a string here or there? What must they do? Seek God's kingdom and seek his righteousness and leave all those big God-sized things up to God and stop pretending that we're God. And let him do what only he can do. Toss all your anxieties on him. I want you with one eye to to, to watch all these frantic singles. Who are driving their lives into the ground and self-destruct. Who are miserable without rest day and night. Bringing themselves hell unnecessarily. And then put the other eye on Ruth who's just loving her God and taking care of her mother-in-law. She's at peace. She's amazed to humility by every grace from God. And Naomi is even beginning to beam as her daughter-in-law trusts the Lord. Now Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. You learn from scripture that kinsmen redeemers were by law able to purchase back land that was lost in debt and were obligated to go pursue those that had committed crimes against their family members and even put them to death if they had killed their family members, seek vengeance. They could buy back, redeem their family members from slavery and poverty, pay off all their debts. By law, that is what Boaz can and, arguably, should do. There's several kinsmen redeemers. They've got to work their way through a series of them, as we'll see later in this book. But Naomi is absolutely astounded. God has led you to the very man who could solve all our problems? I mean... Could God possibly be so good that he's going to bless my dead husband by giving him an heir? Guess what? Where else do you and I, Christian, ever find ourselves... Except in the exact same extravagant grace from God. We are always right in the crosshairs of God working all things together for our good. Ruth is not an exception. Ruth is not some weird thing that God once did. Ruth is a microcosm of what God does with all of his people individually. He's just as concerned with you, young lady, as he was with Ruth. You've got just as much of his attention, young man, as Boaz did. And if it was God's will, there could be one day a book written and included in the Bible, okay, that's tongue-in-cheek, all right, that is about God's dealings with you. His perfect, wise, love, dealings with each of you. And it would be no less impressive than the book we're reading. Godly relationships are not formed when we pretend to be God. So you keep godly priorities, like Ruth did, like Naomi did, like Boaz did, and leave the God-sized stuff up to God. Lastly, and most briefly, godly relationships are built by godly counselors. If you've heard nothing else tonight, listen to this. Godly counselors, verses 21 to 23. Then Ruth, the Moabite said, furthermore, okay, she's getting excited. She's just heard Naomi get excited and say he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And Ruth goes, oh, well, that's not the end of the story. Furthermore, more importantly, uh, okay, I'm getting excited too. He said to me, you should stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now you might be sitting there and thinking like, why is that so special? Well, she wasn't given any guarantee that this day that she made a month's worth of money and a day's worth of work was going to last. And here he is saying, I want you to finish out the entire harvest with us. You're telling me I'm going to have a bunch of other month's pay, day's work in a sequence? Hope springs eternal. As the poets say, and Ruth is sparkling with it. I didn't know that, Mom. I didn't know that he's a kinsman redeemer. In that case, there's more to this story. Bo wants me to keep working with his guys on his land, and today is going to be the first of many bountiful days. I'm going to be seeing Boaz all the time. Like, this is awesome, Mom. It's a perfect little D- Disney princess moment, okay? She's excited, she's singing, the birds and the the woodchucks and all the creatures are dancing around her and doing the bed and stuff. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young, ah, you see this? His young women, so that others do not oppress you in another field. Naomi, like a good mom, this is like the stereotypical sitcom mom, right? She, she's she's making sure that her kids are safe. Uh, she's making sure they're they're safe from danger, and that's 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 easy to observe. But did you notice that Boaz gave the wise counsel? I want you to stay with my young people. We translate it young men, but it is able to be translated young people, both young men and young women. Naomi says, "Good counsel." Love it. Love what Boaz said. He's a godly man. Good counsel. I'm going to make it a little bit more specific. Go just hang with his young women. Don't hang around his young men. So she reinforces Boaz's counsel, but she makes it a little bit more specific. And she's really wise. She's really wise to give that counsel. Ruth is really wise to heed that counsel. Many people claim Christ yet they act without or against godly counselors. Brothers and sisters, please seek godly counselors. If you are not taking maximum advantage of the older men and older women that are here devoting their evening and their week and their lives to you, you are foolish to the highest degree. Seek counsel about everything. What should I, what should I seek counsel about? Everything. Everything. You got, you got a financial decision to make? You have a relational decision to make? You have, you have a, a time uh, management decision to make? You got something in the, the word that's confusing you? Get counsel about everything. Listen, I know that I am not a picture-perfect example of what it is to be a godly person. But to the extent that I am godly, to the extent that I follow Christ, I will tell you this. More than anything else in my life that I could say that's what caused me to be here today. It's all grace from God and all glory goes to God. But I will tell you this. I have always surrounded myself with people that are way more godly than I am. Way more wise than I am. That is, humanly speaking, the means by which God's grace has brought me thus far. My best friends have always been people twice my age at least. Maybe that's why I've never gotten married because my my groomsmen would all be geezers. <laughs> Not a great aesthetic for the wedding pictures, right? I I beg you to beg godly people for uncompromising counsel. Should you fill your life with people who tell you what you just want to hear, you are doomed. You're doomed. Pay close attention here. Boaz technically tells her, work with the young people, but Naomi warns her to work only with the young women. Here's what Naomi's saying to Ruth. This is wisdom, young ladies. Would you rather have one of those boys or Boaz? Simple as that. You want a silly boy? Or do you want him? She's got no guarantees. We know where this ends. But it ends here because she takes godly counsel. She takes wise counsel. How do you want Boaz to see you? Should the most eligible bachelor watch you giggling with idiots? Or working hard with his girls? What's most likely to catch his eye? He's a godly man. And Ruth is not stupid. Verse 23. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's more profound than we realize. Ruth is wise. Not only will she avoid danger. Not only will she avoid dishonor but she is going to ensure that Boaz maintains a high estimation of her character, whether or not he falls in love with her. Ladies, do you love wise counsel? As we close and we transition into small group discussion, do you love wise counsel? Because that is only shown in how much you pursue wise counsel and obey wise counsel. That's how you show you love wise counsel. Not that you love talking, with older wise ladies, that you love what they have to say because you obey it. And it blesses you. Brothers, do you respect young women who act foolishly? Do you live in such a way that encourages them to act foolishly? Wouldn't godliness skyrocket in our church? And by the way, I'm so thrilled with how things are in here. So don't, just hear me saying, excel still more. Let's go, let's go higher up and further in. Wouldn't godliness skyrocket if godly young men and godly young women would expect one another, watch this, this is going to be the clincher. This is the, this is the unexpected thing here. Would actually expect one another to be godly. Wow. Pretty neat, huh? You guys could tell that I, I spend a lot of time on this stuff. Now, before we close, last tiny thought read that final sentence again the final words of our chapter the barley harvest ends that means what Boaz time ends she's not going to be seeing him anymore she went she stayed living with Naomi her mother-in-law why are we told that Ruth did not try to take things into her own hands. She doesn't pursue Boaz. She doesn't move into Bethlehem and get an apartment so that she could see Boaz more often. Ruth lives with, serves her mother in law. She says, All right, harvest time's ended. There's not a ring on the finger. We're not even dating. She doesn't take matters into her own hands, she waits on the Lord. Something that I, I want to tell you, as is, is many of us in this room are, are single and desiring marriage perhaps. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is painful. The only thing more agonizing than waiting is wishing that you had. I'm going to say that one more time. The only thing more painful than waiting is wishing that you had. Ruth does not make that mistake. She knows that God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And so will we. If we trust that God is good. God is sovereign. God is wise. And God loves us more than we dare believe. Father, we thank you that that's true. And we ask now that as we sing and gather together and discuss these matters, give us faith, give us obedience, give us humility, give us joy. Oh, and give us fun as we talk together in godly community, developing godly priorities with godly counselors. Thank you for all your good things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.